This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the, fa- of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Thank you, Cammie. All right. Um, I like mushrooms. In fact, my whole family likes mushrooms, and whenever there's like a new recipe where we have to go out and like buy mushrooms, the whole family's excited about mushroom recipes. We, we love mushrooms. Uh, but this I know, I cannot go to the woods behind my house and then just pick any old mushroom and cook it and eat it. Some of the mushrooms in the woods behind my house will make me sick, and some of the mushrooms will kill me if I eat them. So mushroom consumption requires discernment. I like movies. I like books. I like TV shows. But I know that there are some good movies and TV shows and books and all of that out there, but some will be spiritually damaging to me. Some will even hurt me. So I need, a culture consumption needs discernment. We are in a series called The Bible in Life, and we are trying to come alongside you to see how the Bible interacts with life. And today we're talking about uh, the... um, God's word and dealing with our culture, God's word in our culture. Now, I grew up in a generation, I grew up in the late 80s and early 90s, and I became a Christian in 87, and so uh, at that time, the church leadership of that day, uh, if I can keep on this mushroom analogy a little bit, uh, they said this, they said, look, all mushrooms are bad. They're all bad. So don't eat any of the world's mushrooms. In fact, what we're going to do as Christians is we're going to make our own mushrooms, And so they created kind of a subculture of Christianity, and the problem was that some of those mushrooms were made out of tofu, and they just didn't taste very good. And so the question kind of becomes, okay, what should we eat, and what should we not eat, and how can we navigate this world around us? And man, wouldn't it be great if instead of throwing out all mushrooms— What we did is we had a guide that gave us some principles about how to tell what mushrooms were good and what mushrooms were bad. How about we have something to kind of instruct us on mushroom eating and what we should and should not eat. Now, you may be saying, Pastor, you're talking an awful lot about mushrooms this morning. And I hope you know I'm not talking about mushrooms. I'm talking about culture and the things that culture offers and how to discern all of that. So in our Bible and Life series, maybe we really want to help you see God has given us some help in his word to determine what to consume, how to consume, and all of that. So here's the big idea of the day. Using God's word as my guide, using God's word as my guide, I will live life with discernment. Using God's word as my guide, I will live life with discernment. So I want to focus on 
the concept of the world. We are in the world. We live in this world. What does that mean? How do we function? And so a lot of today is going to be talking about what, it, what the world means and how that affects us. Because I grew up with this mentality. Like, again, the generation said, hey, don't listen to the world's music. Don't dress like the world. Don't be like the world. What does that mean? And when you look at passages like the one we have in front of us, love not the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the things of the world, love the Father. And we think, okay, we shouldn't love the world. But what are we talking about? So we'll start with this. Let's start with this. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 2. And I want to focus in on this text again. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does, the will of God abides forever. I want to start with this. Let's define what this idea means. What is the world? The definition of the world, the definition of the world. Well, uh, the world is used, that word is used a lot in the Bible. In fact, it's used 185 times in the New Testament. Interestingly, John uses 105 of those 185, so he uses it a lot, and he uses it here. Of course, this is John's writing. And the idea behind this word, by the way, the biblical word for world is cosmos, and the idea behind cosmos is uh, an order, an arrangement, a system. Uh, one author put it this way, it's really helpful. Cosmos is the opposite of chaos. Cosmos is the opposite of chaos. And so I, I said a few weeks ago, we get the word cosmetology from this uh, word because some of you gals got up this morning and you use makeup to put your face in order. And the idea is that instead of being chaotic, now it's in order. Not my family, they wake up looking beautiful. But anyway, uh, some of you need some help there. So you have cosmetology to aid you along the way. Um, but it's order, it's structure. Now, it's used several different ways in the Bible. One way world is used is of the planet we live on. And think about it, like we have an ecosystem. There is order and design of the planet itself because there's a designer. Can I get a witness? So we have this, the planet is called the world. Everybody on the planet is called the world. So the system of governments and structure and all of that is also called the world. In fact, here in this one verse, those two meanings are used. Here's John 1.10, where it says this, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So he was in among the people and the world, the planet, was made through him, but the world, the people, did not know him. Now, another use of the word world, the one we see here in 1 John, is the idea of the organization and the structure, the system that is against God. That's another use of the word. And uh, it is the system and the order that is actually ruled by Satan. Here is John 14, verse 30, which says this, uh, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Jesus says he has no claim on me. And 1 John 5, 19 says this, We know we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So this third idea of the world is this system or structure or order that Satan is the ruler of and the architect of that is really against God and his will. And he has a desire. He has a plan. 
And Charles Ryrie put it very well when he said this, Satan's aim is to create a system that rivals God's kingdom, but which leaves him out. It is to promote a counterfeit order. Think about it. God created the world to function a certain way with certain rules and certain design. And the enemy comes along and says, did he really say? Is that really how the world should function? And it's without God. In fact, Ryrie ends his little statement here by saying, basically the cosmos is evil because it is independent of God. So, so here's an important principle uh, to ask. Uh, is God in this? So as you sit to do something, as you sit to consume a mushroom, so to speak, as you sit to take in a movie, take in a show, read a book, uh, a very important question is, is God in this? Can I watch this, listen to this, and then stop and give God thanks for it? Now, um, if you've grown up in the church like I have, there's some things that make it really tough to really biblically navigate. And one of those things, I think, is a structure that we were taught that I'm not so sure exists in the world. And we're taught this structure. Some things are secular and some things are Christian. Some things are secular and some things are Christian. You can have secular music. That was the main thing that I was taught. Don't listen to secular music. You have to listen to Christian music. And when you stop and ask the question, okay, is there really a line? I'm not so sure there is. I think, if I can say it rightly, there is worldly music and worldly art and worldly shows that focus on that. And then there are things that are more honoring to God, God honoring, God glorifying or whatever. Because when you get into secular versus Christian, you get in some pretty weird territory. Uh, for example, here is another form of art, not music, but here's painting. And this is a beautiful painting. Uh, is this a secular painting or just a Christian painting? Now, who knows? Can I look at that and say, God, that's beautiful. Thank you for giving artists talent. Thank you for giving us colors. I mean, do I have to say, well, you know, red's a, red's a secular color, but, but blue is a Christian color. I mean, is that how it's like? No, it's not. Same thing is true with music. Is this chord structure Christian or is this chord structure secular? Is this beat Christian or is this beat secular? And I grew up hearing that the 2-4 emphasis in music is of the devil, and it's secular, and it's not right. But I don't know. I think that music is God's. And I think God has given us a wide range of music. In fact, here's a song that I enjoy, an artist that I really like. So is this Christian or secular? I don't know. It's just good, right? It's just good. Like, it sounds boring. And if it sounds like the Peanuts, because that's what it is. <laughs> it's Vince Guaraldi. He's the pianist that does uh, the Peanuts. And this is off of his album. He's one of my favorites. I love Vince Guaraldi. But I can listen to that, and I can say, man, those chord structures, the rhythm, the music, the arrangement of it all is beautiful, and thank you, God, for giving us this kind of music. Now, for some of you, it'd be country music, and all I can say is I pray. I pray every day for your souls. But can I use that music? Can I, can I hear that? And even if the author didn't intend to give God glory, give God glory for it. Yeah, I can. I don't think Mozart wrote a lot of music intending to give God glory for it. I don't think that Holst did, but these are artists that we would go to in, in anyway. They're, they're good, and we can give God glory for it. Because really, like, it's so much the heart behind it. 
can there be a worship band and worship music that's really more about the worship artists than about God? And that's worldly. Hey, look at my talent. Look at how good of a singer I am. Look at it, whatever it is. And if the heart is self-glory, then it's not glorifying God, and it's not, it's worldly. It's what it is. It's worldly. So here's the idea, man. Here's a good definition of the world. If you want a definition of the world, put it on the screen. You can take a picture of it, whatever you want to do. This is from Ryrie. It's truncated a little bit, but this is, here's the heart of it. The world is that system organized by Satan, which leaves God out and is a rival to him. It's a system that is organized by Satan, but leaves God out and is a rival to him. That's the idea behind world. And when you look here at 1 John chapter 2, that's what this world is talking about. This word world is this system that leaves God out and really seeks to rival God. It's that counterfeit way of living, not according to God's rules, but according to my own heart desires. We'll see that in a minute. So then here's the question. What should be our disposition to the world? We have a definition of the world. What's our disposition to the world? And so in other words, what's our attitude? What's our approach? How, do we, how should we as Christians come to and think about and feel about the world? Well, take a look at verse number 15, and it's really easy. Uh, how should we feel about the world? Well, God says, do not love the world. Uh, Christians, say that with me if you would, please. Do not love the world. So we are not to love the world. In fact, he goes on to say, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If your life pattern and habit is just loving anything, just eating all the mushrooms, okay, that's not what God would have you to do. There is an element of discernment that's needed, and there's some things we should not love according to the word of God. And it's our natural, listen, it's our natural disposition to be drawn into these things. And that's why God's word says so often, don't do that. Here's James 1.27. Religion that is unpure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, so there's some stuff we should be very sure isn't making imprints on our hearts or staining our hearts. James goes on to say in chapter 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Is that pretty clear? But the church is confused. It wasn't all that long ago that a church opened its worship, a church opened its worship service with ACDCs who are on the highway to hell. Explain that one to me. When you read the lyrics and you take a look at what that song says, it's all about living life, and it doesn't matter what we do because we're all going to end up in hell anyway. I'm sorry, I feel that might be out of bounds for a worship song. That's awful critical, Pastor. Yeah, I know. But I think we need some discernment. Because what's happened, right, because in my generation, like I said, it was... Don't eat any of the mushrooms. They're all bad. No mushrooms. And we, in reaction, have swung the pendulum to say, no, baby, all the mushrooms. Let's eat them all. They're all good. And I want to say we need some biblical discernment because God makes it really clear, especially through Paul, about how we should interact and feel about the world. Here's Ephesians chapter 5. Check this out now. Listen to this. 
but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. I'm gonna pause there for a second. Man, uh, it is tempting to stop right now and preach a whole message that the, the antithesis of worldly living is actually grateful living. Can I say it again? The antithesis to worldly living is actually greatly living, grateful living. Because, because really, a worldly heart says, God isn't enough, and I need more, and I, and I, gotta, I gotta get it from the world because I can't get it from God where God's word says, no, think about all you have from God. Think about all the rich blessings that God, and be thankful and be grateful for what he has. But that's a sermon for another day. Verse number five says this, for, uh, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you were light. Walk as children of light. There are boundaries, Christian. And there is out of bounds when it comes to how we respond to worldly things. Don't talk about it. Don't joke about it. Don't watch streaming cable shows that feature sexual immorality. It's out of bounds. And we should have nothing to do with that. Shouldn't even be named among us. Colossians 3 says this, but put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Watch this. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And in these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger. Wow, that was pretty, that's not as nearly as specific. I, I've been angry before. Wrath malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouths. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay, God hates sin. You getting that? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And there are some things that we Christians just say, you know what, that is out of bounds. That is, God hates those things and we must not do them. So let's just be honest with yourself for a second. Now, look, just because it's secular doesn't mean it's wrong, okay? Just because it's secular doesn't mean you can't watch it. But there are some things, sexual morality in particular, that shouldn't even be named among us. So as you think about what you consume, as you think about the mushrooms you eat, do you need to put some things away? Are there books, shows, etc., that you need to put down? wasn't that long ago that I was, you know, you know, I'm into sci-fi and I know some of you really pray hard that I wouldn't be anymore, but obviously God is in it because I'm still into sci-fi. So anyway, uh, but I was reading a, a sci-fi book a couple of weeks, a couple, about a year ago. Anyway, whatever it was, I was reading this book and I'm like, man, this is a really cool premise. This is really cool. Some ideas here are really, are really interesting. And all of a sudden it came with this scene and it was a sexual scene. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Nope. That's I'm done. That's, uh, all of a sudden, that book now is out of bounds. I'm not going to sit there and have those images in my mind reading this book. Whatever this book contains, it's not worth it. Okay, I'll find sci-fi somewhere else or whatever. But you get the idea. There's some things that are out of bounds. And I hope 
that the longer you live, the more you study the word, God's word is able to stop you in your tracks at times and to say, nope, I can't do that because I love the Lord. Let me go here. Let's take this a little further. So we see a definition of the world. Our disposition or attitude towards the world means not to love it. And so now let's take a step deeper, and I want to dive into what uh, John is teaching in 1 John chapter 2. So we see very clearly, verse 15, don't love the world. Now verse 16, we get a little deeper into this concept of the world, because John begins to talk all that is in the world. He says, for all that is in the world, now watch this, he defines it, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So where sexual immorality and covetousness and all these things are fruit, John goes down and begins talking about the root. It all comes from the heart. Now, I teach this often, and probably you've heard this, but maybe you haven't yet, so let me pause for a second. Uh, Oftentimes, Christianity has taken the approach of just stop doing it. Just knock it off. Stop doing the wrong things. And I can stand up here this morning and say, stop consuming worldly content. Knock it off. Do better than that or whatever. And I'm trying to motivate you out of guilt and out of shame. And I'm calling upon your self-discipline to be the thing that wins the day. And I don't think any of that's true biblically. I believe very strongly we all do what we do because of our heart desires. We have heart desires, lusts, this, this uh, text says, but, but draws of our heart that move us to these things. Why do we do what we do? We do what we do because we want what we want. Can we say that together? We do what we do because we want what we want. That's all a part of the heart. And Jesus was clear about this in Luke chapter 6, where he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he talked about how, look, fruit are, figs aren't gathered from a bramble bush. No, 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 look, look, it's, it's the root. It's the heart that's the issue. And so if you want to attack worldliness, and you hear me say today, hey, listen, there's a lot of Christianity today that's consuming things, some bad mushrooms, and we need to stop. If you just try to self-determine your way to stopping, it's not going to work. What you need is you need the gospel. Because, listen to me now, it's not guilt that wins the day. It's grace that wins the day. It's not guilt that changes your your heart. It's grace that changes your heart. Because the reality is, lottie dottie, all of us are sinners, and we've all fallen short in some way. And we've all consumed things we shouldn't have consumed. Can I get a witness? We've all done things we shouldn't have. And you can sit here and beat yourself up, or you can run to Jesus because he died for all of that and he loves you and he'll forgive you and he'll forgive you and he'll forgive you again and again and his love and his grace makes me love him and I don't want to do those things because he's not in it and I want Jesus in everything because I love him these principles are important is God in it that's a principle to ask Where is my heart, and is it satisfied in Christ? A question and a principle to really guide what's going on. So heart issues are absolutely the problem, and take your heart desires and bring them to Christ. Worldliness is a heart issue, and we need to fight at a heart level. Worldliness is a heart issue, and we need to fight at a world level. 
So heart issues are the problem. I also want to point this out to you because this is really kind of like a, a principle to take from this as well. And that is what draws your heart may not draw my heart. And what draws my heart may not draw your heart. So there, listen now, there is an element here where not only are heart issues the problem, but also heart issues are personal. Heart issues are personal. Now, I will say this. There are some things that are out of bounds for everybody. Please don't try to make the argument that pornography gives God glory because it's God's creation. It does not. The Bible says very clearly, flee sexual immorality. The Bible says very clearly to look on a person with lust is to commit adultery in your heart. Are you tracking? So all this is to say, that don't make the argument that that's okay. It's never okay. And there's some things that are going to never be okay for Christians. But there are some things where we can make a call ourselves. Let me just give social media as an example. So for some people, uh, they can be on social media, they can connect with their friends, they can post things to bring God glory, they can do all those things, and they are fine in their own hearts with that. It's not a struggle, it's not a temptation, and awesome. And there are some people who get on social media and their hearts go to covetousness automatically. Man, I don't have the life that she has. My kids aren't as cute as her kids are. My life isn't as good as his life or whatever the case may be. And you can compare and you can struggle and it can be a hard draw to you. And some people need to just get rid of social media. And I think that to stand up and say, everybody has to get off social media is probably outside of the boundaries, what you can say. But some people should. And you have to make these hard calls yourself. Well, pastor, is that a biblical concept? I mean, you're talking about people drawing the lines in different places. Is that even okay in God's word? Okay, let me prove it to you. Go to John, or sorry, Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Go ahead and turn there. Romans 14, or flip there, or scroll there, or I got that. We'll leave it there. Uh, whatever you can do, just uh, get to Romans 14. This is really interesting, and this is something we don't talk about a lot, but I think it's really important to, to address this this morning when it comes to these issues. Romans 14 says this, verse number one, Romans 14, verse number one, as for the one who is weak, by the way, that word weak just simply means untrained, someone who hasn't been taught, and so their conscience is not as strong as it should be because they're just unlearned yet, okay? So for as the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but watch, but not to quarrel over Opinions. One person, may be, uh, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person believes uh, he can eat only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he'll be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, man, your journey with God may bring you to certain conclusions, and that's your journey with God. And if you're doing whatever you're doing, abstaining or enjoying something for the glory of God, then who am I to say you should or shouldn't do that? It's between you and the Lord. Verse number five, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. 
The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And you get the idea here is that there is a very personal element to your walk. And God will bring you down certain direction. Now again, some things are absolutely out of bounds, right? No matter what, they are. But some things, there is some Christian liberty and some movement uh, to, to figure out where your heart is and to walk accordingly. So listen, be aware of your heart desires that draw you to worldliness. Personally, I monitor how much I get on social media, especially after Sunday, because I can get on and it's, it's the new thing now where every church hires a photographer to come take pictures of every service and so all my friends got all these pictures of all their church services on social media and pull quotes and them preaching and all that. And I have to be like, okay, I got to guard my heart to be like, okay, this is, I mean, God has called me here and I love this and they have their thing. And why am I comparing my thing to their thing? God says that is unwise anyway. So I monitor that. And you have to monitor your own thing and find your own boundaries. But I want to say this, we need to fight. We need to fight. So let me give you some help here, some very practical help. Let's talk about our discernment in the world, our discernment in the world. And what I want to do is look at this. And so when the mushrooms are coming your way, when the items that you can consume are coming your way, the, and there's so much out there, right? I and mean, there's so much content now coming our way through all these different avenues. Okay, how do we discern what we should do with these things? I'm going to give you three words that I hope are helpful. Uh, receive, redeem, reject. Receive, redeem, reject. Let's talk first of all about the first one, to receive it. The idea behind receiving something is when this thing comes my way, I can just consume it, and I don't need to do anything but just enjoy it, okay? It is perfectly fine to enjoy it as it is. Here's an example. This is Van Gogh's Starry Night, and uh, I don't think Vincent Van Gogh had God's glory in mind when he wrote, when he painted this. He may have. I don't know. But here's the point. I can look at that and say, that's beautiful, I don't got to do anything with that. I can just look at that and praise God and say, God, thank you for color. Thank you for artistry. Thank you for gifted men who can paint. Just thank you for the beauty of that. And there's a lot of art that I really, really enjoy. And it's, it's fun to, to see creations and how gifted people are. And God can get the glory for all of that. I can just receive it as it is. There are some things, though, that need a little work, and those are things that we redeem. So the idea here is that I'll need to do a little work with this thing that is coming my way. So here's some examples. Um, so we like The Lion King. I think I can listen to that. In fact, um, Courtney and I, when we first started dating, it was her favorite uh, show, and, she loved the, and we loved Lion King together, and some fun music, some fun story, all of that. Uh, but uh, in The Lion King, Mufasa kind of like gets, I don't know, reincarnated or something or another, and you look up, and there's the Mufasa in the clouds, and kind of all that thing going on, and uh, so it's kind of teaching this idea that we come back again, it's a little bit of Hinduism in there, a little bit of, of uh, reincarnation, and uh, we don't believe in reincarnation. So can I sit down to my kids and say, all right, good movie, a lot of fun. By the way, I'm never coming back after I die to give you advice from the clouds, okay? Just so you know that, straight up, when I die, I'm, I'm dead and I'm gone. So we can receive it, but we can we redeem it a little bit. We can talk through it and teach through it a little bit. <coughs> um, someone this week said, well, how about Star Wars? And I said, shut your face. We're not talking about Star Wars. <laughs> 
But can you watch Star Wars and say, okay, there's not really the force. There's not really a thing, all right? And, and sometimes I wish it was, you know, like the remotes on the other side of the room. I'm like, okay, maybe I can just, can I do this? Nope, don't got it, don't got it today. Uh, but, you know, like there's no force. And even then you're watching these shows and there's a morality, there's a worldview being presented and don't just, just consume it. Like, put it through the biblical grid. What are they teaching? What worldview is this coming from? And just start using your mind to do some thinking to, to put this in the right perspective to say, okay, especially if my kids are consuming it, I want to come in and say, okay, here's what's biblical, here's what's not biblical, here's what's in balance, here's what's out of bounds, and to redeem and to use this as opportunities to teach. That's the idea. And of course, then the third is to reject, to reject. And there are some things that are just, nope. Not going to do it, not going to watch it, not going to read it, not going to go there. Obviously, pornography would be something flat-out rejection. But there are other things, not just that. I don't want to watch anything that features sexual immorality, don't want to be a part of that, so nope, I'm going to reject that entirely. Now, again, with all three of these, uh, different Christians may draw boundaries in different uh, places. And uh, I know that some, you know, um, Christianity has embraced from time to time, like boycotting certain things. And all of a sudden now we're boycotting this, and we're boycotting that. And I get that people can draw those lines and feel strongly about that. I will say not everyone agrees with that. And for my personal, this is now Jamie's view, but Jamie's view is when I go to Starbucks and I buy a coffee, my $655 to buy that coffee or whatever it is now with inflation, but my money is going to buy the coffee. That's what I'm giving my money for, the coffee. I'm not giving my money, and if they take the money, then it's Starbucks now, and if they take it and they go do something with it, that's on Starbucks because I just bought a coffee from Starbucks. Because really, if you begin saying, okay, what are people doing with my money, then go to the grocery store, look at every single company of every single thing that you buy, and try to track where every single dollar goes to, that can become a real interesting endeavor, and all of a sudden, you're Amish. <laughs> Jamie's view, Jamie's view. If you draw the line differently, I'm okay with that. That's perfectly fine. But just saying, that's kind of where I'm landing on that. And, uh, but we'll all draw lines in different places. And I don't want to be Amish. But here's the biggest thing I will say of all this. Uh, I don't think today's Christians reject enough. I think there are some things that we should be rejecting a little bit more. And I think it's wise for us to pray and to contemplate, Lord, what should I be rejecting? Now, I want to leave us with some hope. So let's talk about the destination of the world, the destination of the world. And I want to end where John does. And uh, check this out. Look at verse number 17. Oh, back in 1 John. I'm in Romans still. But back in 1 John uh, 2, look at verse number 17. 1 John 2, 17. <coughs> And the world is passing away along with its desires. Isn't that cool how John wrote that? Here's what I mean. Hopefully that's not sad to you. Oh, the world's passing away, but I really love blank. And we're talking about the world, remember, things that are against God. Do you sometimes just get frustrated with how much our culture feels like it's against God? It's passing away. Do you ever get frustrated 
by the desires of your own heart that draw you to the worldly things. I do. I get frustrated that I still am drawn to stuff I shouldn't be drawn to. Good news, it's passing away. But God is eternal, and the things of God are eternal, and purity, and righteousness, and godliness are going to go on forever and ever and ever. And those are the things, church, that deeply satisfy the heart. Jesus satisfies the heart, and Jesus is forever. And the good news is the world is passing away, but we have Christ. And the things that are right and good and pure are the things that will last in eternity and because of Jesus. And our hearts are just turned to Christ, and our hearts are turned to the gospel, and our hearts are turned to hope because of what Christ has done. And let's just live in not frustration and anger. Let's live aware and discerning, but let's live hopeful in Jesus Christ. I'm praying for us. Father, thank you for your incredible love. Thank you for your incredible word. God, I would pray that the more we live and study your word, the more we'll be able to just have boundaries from which we live. And we thank you that when we even step out of those boundaries, and sometimes, often, too often, knowingly step outside of your boundaries, yet you are there to offer love and forgiveness and grace. And it is your grace that wins our hearts, and we praise you for it. Lord, thank you for your sustaining this church for 10 years. God, I pray we'll have decades more, if you tarry, we'll have decades more of faithfulness to you and glory to you in your name. We ask all of this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved, and we'll see you tonight, 4 o'clock. Rain or shine, right? Amen. Amen.